We are going to start here on a, my, this second sermon in this new series that we've started on called A Call to Worship. And I want to, I want to start this morning a little differently. I want to read a verse to you that I hadn't had, um, and it's in Zephaniah, actually. It's, kind of, so it's one of those books that Donald says when you get to heaven, you want to, want to have read that in case you run into Zephaniah, and he says, what do you think about my book, you know? You want to, so, so at least we'll read a verse out of that uh, this morning. But in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, and you don't have to turn there. I, I really just want to pray this over us because I, I really feel like this is what, what the Lord is saying this morning, and then we'll get on into the message. But here's what it says. It says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will t- take delight in you with gladness. And with his love, he will calm all your fears. And I love this part. It says, he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. So if you will, won't you just bow your heads? I want to I pray this over you. I, I just feel like doing this because I, I feel like God is getting ready to start to do some work on the inside of us so that we can allow him to fill us up just like that song says. But here's what it says. The Lord your God is living among you. He's right here in your midst right now. And Father, we pray that, that you would be here among us in a way that we would become aware of it right now. And we just declare that you are a mighty Savior in our midst in this moment. And God, your word says that you take delight in us with gladness, that over each individual right here, God, you're smiling upon them, you're looking at them, God, and you're taking delight in them with gladness. And Father, right now, I pray that with your love, you would calm every fear in every heart And God, that they could just see that right now you are rejoicing over them with joyful songs. That you're singing a song over each person and you're rejoicing over them, God. That we can sit here just in this moment. We're not singing, but you're singing over us. And Father, we thank you so much for your love. And just as you said earlier, Lord, that that, that song that you're singing over us, God, we want to come to a place where we sing that back to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. That's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing Bible verse to me. I really love that. And I feel like getting into this, as we're, as we're getting into this, this, this understanding of worship and praise, one of the things that, that I've come to understand that as I'm learning what it means to minister to the Lord, I've found out that the people who most effectively worship God and love God and minister to the Lord are the people who allow God to minister to them the most. Because it becomes, we become a reflection of all that we actually receive from God. And a lot of times in our religious mindsets, we get it mixed up. And we begin to think that somehow we are supposed to go to God first and bring something to God. But the only thing that we could ever bring to God is because He first brought it to us. The Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. The songs that we sing to Him only come out of our heart because He first sang over us. We speak back to Him because we come into a place of worship where we hear the voice of God speaking to us. Now, here's here's my first point. I want to get through some of these points really quickly this morning and and get into the meat of it. But the first point is is that all of life began with a face-to-face encounter in God's presence. That that was what God designed us for was a face-to-face encounter encounter in God's presence. And when we're talking that, this is what I'm talking about this morning is, is, is a call to worship, but I want to focus specifically on a people of God's presence and understanding what that means, what God's presence is. In the Hebrew language, the word for presence actually is just face. 
It means that you come in and you see God face to face. You have a face to face encounter with God. Because in the beginning when God created man, what he literally did was he came down and he took a scoop of dirt out of the earth. Now look at somebody and say, you're just a piece of dirt, right? And that's a compliment, right, in, in this situation. So God leans down and he takes a scoop of dirt out of the earth and he molds it into his image. And all of the angels are looking around as he begins to mold this into his image. And they're looking at it and they're thinking, well, God is just creating a, an image of himself or something so that he can look at it. But the truth was is that he was creating man. He was creating us. And he kneels down and, and, and he scoops it out of the earth and he forms us and then he breathes the breath of life. Into, into humanity, and humanity <gasps> breathes the first breath, and the first thing that Adam sees is he sees the face of God. He was born in God's presence. And the truth is, is that we are supposed to be always living from God's presence in a face-to-face -face encounter with Him, reflecting who He is in the earth. And God did that, and as soon as He made humanity, before, before Adam did anything good, before he did anything that was right, God blessed them there. Because do you know that God actually wants to bless you before you even do anything for Him? He wants you to live from His presence and from His blessing, not for His presence and for His blessing. Amen? It's a totally different mindset because one is performance-based, where I begin to say that I am what I do, but Christianity is, is based on the fact that I am what He has done for me. It's a totally different way of looking at things. And I pour out to God only because I realize that He is first poured into me. And until I come to a place where I worship God and worship becomes a place where I know and understand that my Father is good, that He loves me and He wants to pour into me, then my worship will never be full. I have to realize that God has done this. Now, when God blesses Adam and, 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 and humanity, when he blesses us, the Bible says in, in the, that word bless actually means to kneel and to adore. So you see this picture of God kneeling down, forming us, and molding us into his image, breathing the breath of life of us, and then adoring us. And that scripture talks about how he rejoices over you. you think, a lot of times you think you're a mess, and your idea about God is, well, he thinks I'm a mess, he knows I'm a mess, and he's kind of pretty, pretty upset about it, right? And you know what? He does understand. The Bible says he knows we're just dust. He remembers that he just made us from dust. He knows how we are, what we are, our failures, our weaknesses. And in our weaknesses, he chooses to look at us and rejoice and dance over us with singing and say, I love that one. I, I, and, and begin to sing songs about us, even in our current condition. Now, can you receive that this morning? Because if you can receive that, that's going to begin to unlock your heart to what worship really is. And worship actually means, in the Old Testament, it means to kneel or to prostrate oneself before the Lord, to lay out flat. Because worship isn't so much a genre of music. We talk about worship music. But the reason we call it worship music is because it brings our heart into a certain posture. Amen? When I Listen, there's some music that I will listen to, right? And, and so, like if I listen every now and then, you've got to get the lead out, right? Listen to a little Led Zeppelin, anybody? No. And sometimes I got, I'll get a little let out on occasion, you know what I'm saying? But it really doesn't posture my heart toward God. It doesn't put me in a posture of worship. And, I, and I, I may be jamming out, I may be enjoying the music, but ultimately it doesn't satisfy me. And I have to turn to something else and I say, well, you know, I really like Led Zeppelin. They got a good sound. I appreciate that. And I used to listen to that when I was in sin and all this. But really, I want something that is going to posture my heart, that turns my heart toward God. Because worship is really a posture of the heart. 
And worship music begins to do that for us. That's why there are all types of genres of music. But that music that begins to turn my heart and my affection toward the Lord, that's why we call it worship music because it's bringing me to that place. But even Jesus, when we think about Jesus, before Jesus called all of his disciples around him, he said, listen, boys, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you up, just like the song says. And when you get filled up, you're going to be empowered to do things that you could never do before. You're going to go into all the world, and you're going to testify of who I am, and of my goodness, and of my salvation. And many are going to come to the Lord, and you're going to be empowered to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, to bring my kingdom. But before he sends them out, you know what he does? He kneels down, and he washes their feet. He ministers to them. And then... When he's raised from the dead, he goes out and they're out fishing. He calls them in and he sits down and he cooks them breakfast. Because before God ever counts on you to minister to somebody else, he must first minister to you. Amen? And here's the, here's the real problem. The, 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 reason, the reason we burn out. You ever been burnt out spiritually? Now everybody in here, if you've been any Christian for any period of time, you've probably been burnt out spiritually. And burnout happens when our doing exceeds our being. Because we're doing, doing, doing for the kingdom of God. I got to do this. I got to reach people. I got to sing songs. I got to preach messages. I got to go there. I got to meet that person. I got to do this. And all of a sudden we find ourselves doing far more than we are just simply being. And worship is that place where I'm not performing, I'm not trying to do anything, I'm not preaching a message. Worship is that place where I lay myself abandoned before God and I allow Him to minister to to me because that is God's heart. He designed us so that all ministry, all love would overflow out of what we first received from Him. And until we come into a place of prayer and adoration and worship and receive from Him, true worship cannot overflow as it's supposed to do. Now, my second point here is, and this is what happened. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God blesses them. He puts them in the garden. They are in constant communion and constant worship, reflecting the image of God without hindrance, without mar, without sin. Their goodness is intact. Their love is intact. They're whole, and they're carrying the literal glory and presence of God. You know, the Bible says that all have fallen short of of the glory of God. They've all sinned. They've all fallen short of the glory of God. It can mean in one sense that when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the glory of God, the presence of God that was covering them. And that's why they felt like they were naked and ashamed, right? Because the presence of God that they had been clothed with all of a sudden lifted because they forfeited it. Now, they were born to live in that presence, be clothed with that presence of God, but they forfeited it. And in Genesis 3, verse 8, here's what it says. After they sinned and they believed the lie. See, here's what you have to understand. The voice that you listen to is the voice that will define you. The voice that you listen to in your daily life is the voice that ultimately will define you. And I promise you, Satan and his demons are constantly speaking. They, don't, they, they speak without ceasing, but what you have to understand is God does the same thing. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, but my sheep are the ones who stay near enough so that when I speak, they hear me. Now, Satan begins to get this plan together, and he understands that the voice of God is in the presence of God. So he says, you know what? I have to break that communion that man has with God. And if I can break that intimacy, if I can break that worship, his goal, his goal was not to just make people sin. His goal was to break your intimacy with God. His goal was to break worship, break your communion. So when he comes in, he begins to tell lies, right? 
And his lie is, he says, has God really said? Oswald Chambers, he said, he said that the root of all sin is believing the lie that somehow God is not good. You ever believe that lie? You ever believe that in some situation in your life, God's just not been good in this situation? Or somehow he's holding out on you. He's not giving you all that he could give. He's not bringing you into that place where he's going to give you everything, right? And, and so we believe that, and all of a sudden we bite into that lie, and sin enters in. And the Bible says that shame entered in. Pain entered in. And my second point is that sin, shame, and accusation causes us to hide from God's presence. Here's what it says in Genesis 3.8. After they had sinned and believed the lie and listened to the wrong voice, what happens? It says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking. I love that language. And that's literally what it says. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. They didn't hear footsteps. They heard the voice walking. Right? Because the voice of God is coming after you. The voice of God is desiring to speak to you this morning. But here's the issue. When they heard that voice coming after them, many of us do this same thing. It says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The cool of the day, there's just spirit. They heard God walking in the spirit. And Adam and his wife, what they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. God's voice was in his presence, but because of the sin in their lives, because of the shame, and because of the accusation of the enemy, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Think about that for a minute. What has ever actually caused you to hide from the presence of the Lord? What is it that keeps us from entering into the presence of God? Now, a lot of times our own sin does because, because somewhere deep down we are ashamed of what has happened to us and we believe that if we come to God, He's not going to reveal His goodness and His love to us. He's going to be upset with us. I talked with somebody a couple of weeks ago and I was just urging them. They're in, they're in addiction. They're struggling deeply and I was urging them to, to, to think about where, where their life was headed and I said, you know why? What is it with you and God? What's been going on with you and God? Because I know you believe in the Lord, but you're in this place where you, you seem so distant from Him. And, and she said to me, she said, I'm just tired of disappointing Him. I thought to myself, you know, how many people? This is the story of Adam and Eve. They hide from the presence of God because they feel like they've been a disappointment to God. And here's what's so beautiful, because most preachers that I've listened to, especially when I first became a Christian, was is that, is that I separated myself from God, and I need to clean it back up and get back to God, right? But this says that Adam and Eve, they weren't the ones that went back to God. God came looking for them. The Father in His love knew they had messed up. He doesn't have one word of condemnation. He comes looking for them and He says this to them. He says, where are you? And right now you have to understand that the presence of God is trying to run you down. The voice of God is after you, looking for you. And the voice of God for many of us is saying the same exact thing to us right now. Where are you right now in life? Have you allowed the guilt of your past, the shame of your past... Or the pain of, of something you've lost, something that happened to you, something that somebody did to you, keep you from the presence of God? Are you hiding from the presence of God because God the Father is saying, I'm coming after you. I want you to come back into my presence. And you know, a lot of times we try to fix this the same way Adam and Eve did. They put on fig leaves. Fig leaves represent religion because Jesus cursed the fig tree. Remember that? He was cursing false religion. 
He was saying, you'll never find life in false religion. And what religion does is it covers up all my weaknesses. It covers up all my failures so that when I come into the church house, if I come in here and listen to a sermon and, and, and check, check my box, well, I'll be covered up from the, the shame, right? I'll try to feel better about myself if I perform. But God says, no, take off those fig leaves. You quit trying to cover it up. And he sacrifices an animal and covers them with animal skins, showing them that the only thing that's ultimately going to cover your sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. But when it covers your sin, it doesn't just cover it. It does completely away with it in God's sight so that you can have interaction with him. Because Jesus Christ on the cross, on the cross, Jesus Christ took every bit of your guilt for sin. All of the punishment for sin was upon Jesus Christ. And you know what? There was this distance between us and God. There was this distance between us and God's presence. And in the Old Testament, because of that, and because they rejected relationship with God, they couldn't even enter into the presence of God. Somebody would enter into the holiest place where the presence of God was, and they'd wrap a rope around his foot just in case he dropped dead so they could drag him out. But my third point, and this is, this is the gospel, is that the blood of Jesus has given us access into God's presence. And what you have, this is the gospel. I want you to know this morning that whatever, whatever you've done, whatever has hurt you, see, a lot of times some of us, we get, and I, I really feel like the Lord is saying this to somebody this morning. You've been hurt, you've been in pain, something in your life happened, and you question God just for a moment. And when you question God just for a moment, all of a sudden you separated yourself from the only person that can heal that pain. Right? And that's what we do so often is we begin to separate ourselves and the blood of Jesus has been shed and he's saying, I've taken that pain, I've taken your shame, I've taken your rejection, your abandonment, every fear you have, and I punished all of your sin on the cross, and my blood has given you access into the presence of God, which means that even if you failed this week, Guess what? By the blood of Jesus, you can enter into the presence of God this morning. And there's not a word of condemnation. God doesn't say you're not worthy to be in my presence. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find help in your time of need. Because I know that you're only dust, but my son paid the ultimate price. And I'm dying, literally, and I died to give you access back into my presence because that's how much I love you. And even in your current condition, I'm singing songs over you I'm rejoicing over you and if you will come into my presence God is saying you'll start to hear that song see we think that we're doing God justice when we treat ourselves as unworthy and we come before the Lord and say I'm not worthy Lord and maybe that is humility I don't know I prefer to think that it's false humility especially when you know what Jesus has done when I know what Jesus has done for me I come boldly not because I'm worthy but because I know that he paid the ultimate price to make me worthy. And to not come into God's presence boldly would be for me to downplay what Jesus has done for me. And so when I come in, I'm coming in. I Look, I messed up a couple of times this week. I had a bad attitude a couple of times. But I'm not going to let that hinder me from worshiping God because I know God gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross so that I could worship freely and there would not be one word of condemnation toward me. And man, that is a wonderful thing. And here's what is so awesome about that. You know that, that, that worship overflows. I love this. I've said it a million times and I'll probably preach it a hundred times more. But in Genesis 22, you have the first mention of worship and the first mention of love. 
Now, anytime something's mentioned first in the Bible, it's because it's setting a precedent. It's saying that you can interpret worship, you can interpret love, or whatever the subject is from this first place. Now, the first time that worship and love is mentioned in the Bible is actually 22 chapters in, which is interesting. 22 chapters in, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, this is a picture of God's son because Abraham had another son. He's saying, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to a place, and I'll show you what you shall do. And he, he goes, and he's going to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice to God. And you see Isaac carrying this wood up this mountain where ultimately it was Mount Moriah where Calvary was. So, you know, thousands of years later, Jesus would climb that same mountain with wood on his back. And you see Abraham the father and his son climbing up this mountain and Isaac gets to the top of the mountain and he lays out the wood there. And, and as they're going, the son says, Father, but where is the sacrifice? We have the wood, we have the fire, where is the sacrifice? I love that song, you provide the fire, I'll provide a sacrifice. And he says, where's the sacrifice? He says, my son, the Lord shall provide. And they get to the top, and as Abraham lifts his hand to sacrifice his son, see, this is a picture of the judgment that we all deserved. That every single one of us deserved death because we sinned against God. We hid from his presence. We rejected him. But as he is going down, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, now I know that you fear the Lord because you've not withheld your only son whom you love from me. So that we can say, God, now I know that you love me because you've not withheld your only son from me. And he looked over in the thicket and there was a ram there. And he called that place Jehovah Jireh or the Lord is my provider or my provision. Because God, let me tell you something, for every sickness, for every disease, for every hurt, for every pain, for all your sin, for all your shame, God has provided for you. And when, and when you realize that, because when we come, when we come into worship, here's what happens. A lot of times we worship misinformed. I, I promise you, if every single person in this place had a revelation of what God gave you when he gave you Jesus Christ on the cross, you would be, not be able to withhold worship from overflowing. He, what, what God is saying is that when you realize what God has given you in his love for you in giving Jesus Christ for you on the cross, worship will naturally begin to overflow you won't be, be able to hold worship back and the purest form of worship is when you realize that Jesus' blood has given you access into his presence and so when you worship look to the cross when you worship realize Jesus has paid for my sin no matter what you've done no matter the shame the pain you've experienced come into God's presence and begin to worship because he's given you access when you do that and when you say God give me a revelation of what you've done for me on the cross what your blood has done for me I'm telling you worship is going to begin to explode in your heart you believe that and this is the way that God wants us to come to him. But here's, here's something else that, 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 that a lot of people struggle with because I can give you this concept. I can give you this idea of the presence of God. I can talk about the presence of God. But you know, I've noticed that a lot of people really only have a concept of the presence of God and no experience. Amen? So did God design us to just have theological knowledge, to come, to come to a service and hear a message and have knowledge about God without an encounter and an experience with God? No. He designed us to have encounters with Him. And every word that is preached is preached so that you might experience God and encounter Him and actually begin to have a relationship with Him where you begin to experience God's presence. And so... 
part of our assignment is really coming to know God and to know His will on the earth and partnering with Him. Amen? Because God, God could have chosen anybody to do anything. He could have done it Himself. But He has chose sovereignly to use those who choose to worship Him to be His instruments to destroy the works of the devil on the earth and to release His power and His presence and His love. He said, look, I could destroy the devil. The devil is not, not an issue to me. But when He created man, He said, you have rule, you have dominion over the earth. And those who choose to worship me, I will give them my spirit, I will give them my presence, and they will destroy the works of the devil on the earth. God has chosen to use you, but we have to live from that place of presence. Number four. I'm going through these pretty quickly, aren't I? I'm proud of myself. Number four. In Christ, we become carriers of God's presence. In Christ, we become carriers of God's presence. It's not just about me entering into the presence of God for the sake of saying, boys, we had a good time last night. I sure did get my blessing. Amen. But, but when we come to church, we do. We, we want to experience God. We want to encounter God. We want to receive the blessing of God. We want to receive that. We want to enter into that. But see, God, because you are a priest, not only does He give you that blessing, but He places that blessing upon you so that you might carry that blessing to others. And like He promised Abraham, you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That through you, the blessing of God would be transmitted to the communities in your neighborhood, to the schools that you go to school at, to your workplace, that the blessing and the favor and the presence of God would be transmitted through those who choose to worship God. And it's in our choosing to worship God that His presence begins to come upon our life and invade our lives. I love what it says in Psalm 68.1. Listen to this. It says, Let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Can I tell you something? Demons cannot exist in the presence of God. Sickness and disease cannot exist in the manifested presence of God. It can't. Because God is healing. He is life. He is good. He is pure. He is holy. And anything that isn't life, anything that isn't pure, anything that isn't holy cannot exist in His presence. And He gives us measures of His presence. But we have a free will that He has given us. And, and to some degree, we get to choose the level of that presence that we enter into. And what happens as far as the earth being transformed is also relying upon us and our participation with what God is doing. And this says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let me tell you something. No enemy is a threat to God. Your anxiety, your fear, your drug addiction, the sin you've been struggling with, your relationships, none of these enemies are a threat to God. The devil himself, if God wanted to, he, everybody thinks you know the devil's at war with God. He's not at war with God. If God wanted to go to war, he could put his thumb on him and be game over in a moment of time. But the Satan is at war with us because God has given us authority and dominion. And he's asked us to worship him and to take dominion over the earth and to destroy the works of the devil as Christ did. And Christ walked. It says that Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. The presence of God was on him. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. 
So he was carrying the presence of God. And think about this, because Peter had, had so been with Jesus and understood Jesus' ways that there was a time in the book of Acts that Peter simply walked through a crowd of people and the shadow that just shined on the people below him, they were healed instantly because the shadow touched them. He was carrying the presence of God. I know that's a little bit beyond us. That seems super spiritual. But what if you lived your life understanding that when you walked into a place, you were carrying the presence of God with you? How would that place change? How would your home change? How would this church change? If we knew that God's dwelling place was among us and we carried the presence of God, if I walked into a building where I... See, we're afraid to go to certain places because we say, well, there's evil there, there's darkness there. When you carry the presence of God into that place, that darkness has to flee. When we go to places like Bridge Street, we ought to be so filled up with God and in such a place of worship in the secret place that when we go there, demons leave people simply because we have brought the manifested presence of God with us when we walk into a place. You say, now Clay, you're a little bit radical. That's a little bit over the top. Well, this is just what the Bible teaches us. That we are carriers of God's presence. They would just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. They wouldn't even touch his body. They touched the clothes that he was wearing. The Apostle Paul, they would take off pieces of like a headband that he would keep sweat out of his brow with, cut that up, hand it to people, and when they touched it, they'd get healed and demons would leave them. Why? The manifested presence of God was being carried by these men who had chosen to say, I'm giving my life to worship God, to dwell in His presence, to be a person of His presence, to live there, to stay there. And I promise you that if you become a person that lives in God's presence, you will carry that presence. You will be in that peace, you'll live in that peace and other people will experience it. But here's the thing, notice the key to this and and we've been talking about it all morning. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. David said it like this, Oh, magnify the Lord. This is Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I'll tell you what us Christian people do a real good job of. We do a real good job of magnifying the devil. So we magnify him about how he's been saying this and he's been doing that. And we'll talk about him until we're actually offering some form of weird worship toward him. Now let me tell you something. We ought to confront the devil when he's in our way. But if he ain't in my way, I ain't going to focus on him. If he gets in my way, I'm going to bust a cap in him, right? Spiritual one. Spiritual cap. But if he's not in my way, I'm not going to magnify what he's doing in the earth. I'm going to magnify what Jesus is doing. I'm going to let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. I'm not going to focus on the enemy. I'm going to focus on the one who destroys the enemy. And I'm going to let him arise. And when we become a people of worship and we focus on Jesus and Jesus becomes our focus and we magnify him. Now here's the thing. God is so big that you can't make him any bigger than he is. You say, well, what in the words he talking about magnifying him? Now if you take a... Any of y'all ever t- taken a magnifying glass when you were a kid or whatever and burnt like an ant or something? You done that? I'll be honest with you, I think I saw it in like one of those little science books in school and somebody was doing it and I said, I'm going to go home and get me a magnifying glass. I'm going to burn an ant. That's probably wrong. That's sin. I repented of it. But, uh, but what he's saying here is you can't make God any bigger than, than, than he already is. But, but it, when you're in difficulty... When you're praying through something, when you're, when you're suffering, when you're struggling, when you're dealing with something that's hard. What we want to do, what we're tempted to do is magnify 
the negativity. We're tempted to magnify what the evil is. We're tempted to magnify what the devil is doing. And before long, he becomes so big, the problem becomes so big, that in essence, it becomes what my focus and my worship is, and it gets control over my life. But if in the midst of that, I choose to not magnify my problem, but I begin to magnify the Lord, it's as if I'm putting a magnifying glass on God, and I'm allowing Him to invade in that area until that place is reversed, until that thing is changed, until it's different. Say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. It's difficult, but I magnify your name, Jesus, because you are healer. You are savior. You are redeemer. And when I begin to magnify him, all of a sudden I'm opening a door. It's a key that allows God to arise in my situation. And before long, all of my enemies are going to have to scatter because they're not going to be able to stay in that magnified presence of the Lord. Amen? And so we have to begin to understand that we are carriers. Now, some people would ask, I've heard this said a million times. You say, well, you talk about, y'all talk about the presence of the Lord. Y'all are, y'all are some strange people. Isn't God everywhere? You ever heard anybody say that? Let me tell you something. You better believe God's everywhere. See, there's, there, there's different ways that God invites us into his presence. And God is everywhere. There is nothing the Bible says that is hidden from his sight. The first thing that when we talk about God's presence is it says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. Even lost people who don't know Jesus want nothing to do to Jesus. They breathe and exist and live and the cells work in their body because God holds it together. He is there with them. Amen? He holds all things together in the universe by the very word of his power. He is existent in all things. But the second way that God dwells among us and His presence manifests, is that when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, you put faith in Christ for your sins, the Holy Spirit comes and you are born again in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit literally makes you a temple of God. You become the dwelling place of the presence of God when you become a believer. Right? So everywhere that I go, guess who goes with me? We think of God being out there. You know where God is? He's in here. He lives in my spirit, in my inner man. It's it's, it's interesting, I don't have time to get into it, but in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelled in a place called the Holy of Holies. That was in a tabernacle that had an outer court, an inner court, and then a Holy of Holies. And His presence dwelled in that one place in the Holy of Holies. And there was a lot of ways to get in there, but only one man, the high priest, could go in one time a year to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. But guess what? In the New Testament, you become that temple. You become that tabernacle. You've got an outer court, you've got a body, you got an inner court, you have a soul, your mind, your emotions, and then you have an inner court, that is the spirit, where the spirit of God dwells, where the presence of God dwells. You have become the New Testament temple of the living God. Whew, right? I don't know what else to say about that. You are the New Testament temple of the living God. God has chosen to dwell in you. But see, that's so interesting because if God now, not only is God everywhere, but God's in me. So when I come in, now God says in Matthew 18, He says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. I thought, Lord, two or three gathered together, there you are in the midst. I thought you were inside me. And then take it one, take it one step further. And then in Psalm 22, God says that I, I enthrone myself upon the praises of my people. So if God is everywhere, and not only is God everywhere, but God's on the inside of me, why is He asking us to meet together corporately in His name? And then why is He asking us to give thanks and praise to Him so that He can enthrone Himself among His people? Because God is inviting us into greater levels of the manifestation of His presence. 
And you see it again throughout the Old Testament. Whenever, in Exodus chapter 40, whenever they finally get the tabernacle and everything in order and they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, when they bring it in, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the place and a cloud dwelt there. You ever heard anybody say Shekinah glory? The word Shekinah there is just a weird Hebrew word, but it's saying that God literally settled down in there and it was so weighty that nobody could enter in or even move because God's presence was so weighty. You ever experienced that? I've walked into places and I've experienced God's presence where it felt like I was in a dream or something. You know, like I was trying to walk through it. It's just thick. Because God's presence can physically manifest. You know that spiritual gifts are when God's presence physically manifests. That's how we, that's how we know. We feel it. Our hearts begin to beat. We sense His presence. Our hands get hot. Different things happen, but His presence physically manifests. And we have to become a people of His presence. Now, like I said, throughout the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles, again, they, they are Solomon. He takes the tabernacle and he rebuilds the temple that David wanted to build. And, and again, whenever they set everything up and put the Ark of the Covenant in its rightful place, and they begin to sing with one voice, it says... How, how, many, how often do you think we've sang with one voice to the Lord in here? I'm going to say it's yet to be done. With one voice, in unison, the trumpeters, all these people are playing and singing to God with one voice, and they begin to lift their voice up, and it says that the glory of the Lord fills the temple. Because let me tell you something, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord doesn't want to fill this building. He wants to fill these temples. We, we still got an Old Testament mindset where we think he wants to come in and fill a building. No, he doesn't fill buildings. We could meet outside of the building, but when we come together in unison to worship God, all of a sudden he says, this is my dwelling place. This, this is my corporate temple, and I want to invade that place because they've opened themselves up to me. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I don't know about you, but I want to get my temple in order. I want the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant ultimately re represented Jesus in my spirit and in my heart. When Jesus is the lone God of my heart, the glory of the Lord will fill this temple. Amen? When they bring that Ark of the Covenant into the holy place, it's a picture of you letting Jesus be the sole owner of your heart and your spirit and your mind. And when He is, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And the glory of the Lord wants to fill this temple. In the Old Testament, David longed for the presence of God. He understood this. Because up until David, you know, they would sing songs on occasion. But for the most part, worship for them was offering blood sacrifices. David comes to this revelation where he says, God, you don't even really want my lip service. You don't even really want blood sacrifices. You want a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You want somebody who's humble enough to come into your presence and say, God, I need you. And then begin to pour out their soul. They weren't reciting worship songs that they heard on YouTube. He was pouring out his heart and they were writing it down as he, as he began to pour out his heart. It was true worship overflowing. True worship beginning to overflow. And he understood that so much that you know what he did? He built a tabernacle where they would have worship 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Why? Because he craved the presence of God and he knew that the presence would dwell among the people who would worship. He craved it. He built a 24-7 place of worship. Now, when David, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to try to par paraphrase this story for you. But in 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 6, David becomes king. And the Ark of the Covenant, what I told you is symbolic of the presence of God, of Jesus Christ Himself. 
It was gone from Israel. It had been among the Philistines, and the Philistines didn't like it much because they would set it up next to their gods, and it knocked their gods over. The presence of God will knock over your other gods. Amen? And so they, David's like, we got to bring the presence of God back home, boys. we got to get this together. So they go out to this guy's house named Abinadab, and they didn't even pray up or nothing. They get this ox cart, and they put the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, on an ox cart, and they begin to bring it home, and all of a sudden they get toward this place, and it starts to stumble as they're carrying it on this ox cart. And this guy named Uzzah, which is an awesome name, if you got having a kid, that'd be a good one. This guy named Uzzah, he puts his hand out to steady it, and when he touches it, he falls dead and dies. Let me say a couple of things about this. On the one hand, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was only to be held by priests that were carrying it. Priests were only to carry it, not something that was man-made. This ox cart was man-made, and they tried to bring the presence of God in on it. Because here's what you have to understand about the presence of God. You can't manipulate it. It won't come on your programs. It won't come on your church systems. It won't do any of that. The presence and the power of God will only manifest among a people who have chosen to worship. The presence of God does not come on systems. It comes on worshipers. And systems help. And programs are good. But ultimately, they won't allow for the presence of God. And you know what we try to do? We try to ma manipulate the presence of God. We try to control it. We try to make it fit within our boundaries and within the way that we want it to manifest. And, and you know, there, there, God is a God of protocol and order. Otherwise, us wouldn't have fallen down. But at the same time, we have to realize that when God manifests, He's in control. He's in control. I give up control. And so David gets upset. David gets upset. He doesn't know what's going on. He's embarrassed, actually, because if you're looking at him, everybody's thinking, well, you know, David, he doesn't even know what he's doing. God doesn't even love him. Anybody? You ever look at somebody and something bad goes in their life? Well, they must be in sin. Y'all yeah, are a tough crowd this morning. I don't even like my jokes. <clears throat> so David takes the Ark of the Covenant. He puts it at Obed-Edom's house. And it's sitting at Obed-Edom's house for three months and because the presence of God is at his house, Obed-Edom is blessed beyond measure. He, he just abundantly blessed in everything that he does for those three months. And, and David says, Daggone it, boys. We've got to get that presence back to the house. So they get a new plan. They get the priest. They go out. They do what they're supposed to do. And they're bringing the, 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 the cart back, but it's not a cart. It's, they're carrying it with priests. And he's bringing it back the way that it does. And it says when they had went six paces, when they had went six paces, all of a sudden he began to dance before the Lord with all of his might. But it says after six paces they offered up a sacrifice of oxen. Now some people say that every six steps they took on a six-mile journey, they would stop and offer a sacrifice. Can you imagine how much blood and guts would be down through there? Over six miles. Now that ox represents my own self-effort, my own self-will, because here's what it's saying. It's saying that if you want to become a worshiper of God, you have to realize that, guess what, you've got fleshly tendencies. You have tendencies to try to take control of the presence of God and try to say, these are my dreams, Lord. This is my will, God. This is what I want to see happen. And God is saying throughout your day, every day, this is why Jesus said you have to deny yourself daily. You have to crucify your flesh. You have to put your self-effort to death. And so every six steps throughout the day, throughout the day, every six steps, six is the number of man. Six is the number that says, God, without this, I cannot. Without you, I can't do anything. So I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm saying, I need your presence. I need your goodness in my life. And listen, on a daily basis, 
Whether we listen to music, whether we stop to pray. Imagine this, every six steps, I just surrender my will. I surrender my ambitions. I surrender my own dreams. I surrender my, my own ideas. And I say, Lord, I'm nothing but flesh. And I offer this as a sacrifice to you. Would you, would you begin to move among me? This is what he's saying. Give me your presence, Lord. And so they bring it into Jerusalem. Now here's where it gets really good. They bring the cart, or they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And David is so excited that the presence of God is coming home. that he, The Bible says he begins to dance before the Lord with all his might. You know, I got some good dances, but I'm going to hold off because y'all ain't liking my joke this morning. And he begins to dance before the Lord with all of his might. And they're playing instruments and they're just having a dance party. And it says that David was only wearing a linen ephod. And his wife, Michael, it was her name, which is a guy's name, but there it was a girl's name. So. And she looks from the top and she looks out and it says that she despises him in her heart because he's dancing like that. Now see, she's got a spirit of religion on her. Because religion will always despise extravagant worship. Religion will always despise extravagant worship. Now don't get me wrong here because sometimes people get a little crazy in, in worship and you got to be like, sometimes people get out of order. Sometimes people aren't led by the Spirit. And that's one thing. But let me tell you something that we are not in this church. We are not a church who says do not give God extravagant worship. Bring your all to God. Worship Him freely. Get free in God. Get lost in God. Lift your hands. Sing praise. Move around if you have to. Because David says this. And you know what? She looks at David. David comes in and she says, Oh, you, you, you look real good out there today, David. She said, You're like one of those bass fellas that just shows himself around here all this place. Running around half naked in front of all these women around here. And you know what David said? He said, Listen here, woman. I'm going to be even more undignified than this. Because it was not before you or any of them that I was dancing. I was dancing before the Lord. I was dancing for the Lord only. And it wasn't for you. It was for Him. Now, see, that's what you have to understand about worship. Because you come in here and you're worried what people are thinking. And you're so caught up in other people. And the reason you can't worship is because you're still focused on yourself and others. And God is saying, David said, look. I'm going to come before the Lord. I didn't even know you were in there because I was dancing before the Lord. I got lost in Him. It was an act of worship. I didn't care what you thought. I didn't care what they think. He said, I'll get even more undignified than this. He said, I'll get even crazier than this because I'm humbling myself in the sight of the Lord. And let me tell you what most people will not worship God for. And it's because of their pride. Plain and simple. David says you have to lay your pride aside. And you have to come humbly before God, forget who's next to you, forget who's around you, and begin to offer a sacrifice of worship and of praise. You know how it is, though, when you're in worship service. You're like, you lift your hand, you'll be like, you try, just trying to get free. And what I'm telling you is that when we enter that place of worship, when it's just us and God, you'll be the freest you've ever been. And you'll have an encounter with God, and a transformation will begin to take place in your heart. Now, I'm, I'm going to finish with this last point. You guys can come up if you want. Now, here's, here's what's so interesting about what happened with David and, and his wife. Is that the Bible says that because she despised his worship, she didn't have any children. She was barren until her death. And, I'm gonna, and what I believe in, and even the word that was given, given this morning, he said he's going to do a new thing. He's going to bring new things to birth. 
I believe this is a word for our church, and I believe it's a word for people's individual lives because God wants to bring new things to birth in you, but you're barren because you've not yet reached this place of worship. And in some degree, there's been a despising in your heart of this measure of worship that God is calling you to, this freedom that God is calling you to. Is that difficult? In this place of worship, we remain barren a lot of times because our idea of worship and what God wants is different than our idea and we don't offer Him the fullness of our sacrifice. Now, what I'm, I'm not asking anybody to come in here and go crazy. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to lay your heart before Him in whatever way that manifests itself. See, the, my last point is that God's presence is the place of new birth. Isaiah 54, 1 is the antidote to barrenness. Are you barren in some place in your life? See, David's wife had no children. She was barren for the remainder of her life because she despised his extravagant worship. But Isaiah 54, 1, it says this. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And then the next verse begins to say, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Here's what he's saying. He's saying is that when there is barrenness in your life, when there's been a drought, when there's been depression, when there's been anxiety and fear, you can begin to sing your way out of that current place. You can begin to offer God worship and sing aloud. And he's saying that when you begin to worship and sing to God and offer this sacrifice of worship, His presence is going to begin to invade. And you're going to actually come into a place where you reproduce more than the one who's been reproducing all along. That you enter into something supernatural because you realize, God, I cannot do this on my own. Everybody else is getting this done naturally, but I can't get this done. I'm barren. I'm empty in this place. I've been hurting in this place. But God, you're good, and I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to give you worship. And when we begin to sing, all of a sudden, we're launched into a new place. And we begin to give birth to something in our lives that we would not give birth to otherwise. Let me tell you something. In the presence of God, your perspective changes. In the presence of God, your perspective changes. Psalm 73, Asaph He says, he's writing this psalm, he says, you know what, I looked at the wicked person in the world and he said, I saw them and I thought to myself, they prosper and they do good and how come it is, God, that I offer myself to you and they're still prospering and nothing's happening to them. And he said, I worried about this, I questioned all this in my mind until I came into the sanctuary, into the presence of God. And then he said, then I understood, then I knew. The voice of God is in his presence. Your perspective is going to be changed. I kid you not. I'll be praying, I'll be praying and seeking God. I, sometimes I'll even be praying in here, walking around and playing songs, listening to worship music in my car, wherever I'm at, just worshiping God. And in His presence, all of a sudden, the Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy, right? Joy unspeakable begins to come in my heart that, I've, that I did not have before. But not only that, have you ever been praying and, and a million things come to your mind? When you start praying and the presence of God shows up, here's what I've been noticing is that things that I've thought that have just been the devil trying to interrupt me is actually God speaking to me. So the things that are coming to my mind in His presence, I'll write them down because I realize that in God's presence, His voice is there. And things that come to my mind is actually Him speaking to me. And He will speak to you about the most practical things. He'll remind you, you need to call that person. 
You need to pray for this person. You need to talk to this person. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm trying to intercede on behalf of the nations right here, and I cannot get the devil to quit speaking to me. And the Lord told me one time, that's not the devil, that's me. Write this stuff down. That's why Donald, when he, when he prays, he will come out of prayer with a stack of notes this big. Why? Because God's speaking to him in the presence. And I'm telling you, as a people, if we don't get this, we're going to miss everything that God's calling us into. Period. That is that we as individuals have got to get in the secret place with God. We've got to become a worshiping people and we've got to become a people of His presence. A people that say, Lord, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day in your presence where I can hear your voice, where my perspective is changed. You know, you can be struggling in a relationship with somebody and you enter in the presence of God and all of a sudden you've got a heart to pray for them. Why? Because God has given you His desires in that place of His presence. Amen? Stand to your feet with me. Listen, I know I've preached for a long time. But even with these last moments, can we, can we just begin to gather around? You can stay where you're at, but if you would, gather around. Take, take a step out of your seat. Do something, but begin to offer yourself to the Lord. Begin to come into God's presence. I believe that if we respond, if we become a people that would respond to what God is saying, that He will begin to speak to us. And, and, and so strongly, I, I, just, I, just feel, I just feel so strongly that I just want to deal with this. And, but that first word that I gave, that people, people that had experienced pain, and to some degree that pain or something that you've gone through, you feel like that has kept you from God's presence. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's something you're ashamed of. And God is saying, look, I want you to come into my presence right now. I want to restore the joy of your salvation. I want to give that back to you. I want to bring you back into my presence. If that's you, I would love nothing more than to pray for you. So if you, if you would come forward, you let me know. I, 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 want, I just want to pray for you. Let's pray right now, though. Heavenly Father, I, for that person, I know people sometimes are struggle with coming forward God but I just pray for every individual right now and I pray God that you would begin to restore the joy of people's salvation God in your presence is fullness of joy and Lord in your presence you begin to speak to us God so let us come out of hiding I believe the Lord's saying that right now come out of hiding come out of hiding come out of that place where you've been ashamed where the pain has distanced you from God come out of hiding and begin to receive what the Lord has for you. God, just begin to overwhelm people in your presence. Just begin to overwhelm people in your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus.